Welcome to Ahead of the Curve, a podcast series produced by the Georgia Department of Transportation where we highlight amazing people, programs, and projects that help to make our state's transportation network ahead of the curve. I'm your host, Natalie Dale, and thank you so much for joining us. We are back. It is January. If you've listened to our last two episodes, welcome back. If you just found your place here, uh, where have you been? We hope, we hope you haven't been stuck in traffic, but if you have been, that is an excellent time to listen to Ahead of the Curve. So we have a great treat today because it is January. We know what is on everyone's mind in Georgia. The temperature drops below 72 and we start to get the calls about when it's going to snow in Georgia, when it's going to ice in Georgia. And so we have had some incredibly, incredibly cold, record-breaking, as they say, uh, temperatures this December. And so we are just trudging through this winter weather season in Georgia. And that is why we have two superheroes, two state superstars here with us today to talk about behind the scenes of planning for winter weather in Georgia. So we, you're going to learn from Emily Fish, the Director of Emergency Operations at GDOT, and Will Langston, the State Meteorologist for GEMA and Homeland Security, about them. Oh, we're going to learn about them and their jobs and the challenges in those jobs and how Georgia has grown as a state that handles winter weather and emergency situations since 2014, which we all remember. We all like to forget, but that was Snowmageddon. And so we're, we're going to talk about how we've grown as a department, how we've grown as a, dist- as a state, what's happened since then. And we're going to try to get Will to tell us what we need to build the best snowman. Will, do you want to build a snowman? I'd love to, yeah. Do you want me to sing it? Because we're not going to be able to pay for the rights to that song. It's up to you. <laughs> no. So, Will, first of all, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here. Again, Will Langston is the state meteorologist for GEMA Homeland Security. And let's just start off, Will, by telling us about yourself and a little bit about your, about your background, how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I'm a lifelong Atlanta native, um, grew up in Cobb County, Went to um, Georgia Tech to study meteorology. It was something that I was interested in since a kid and really fascinated by. I um, have no idea why, but um, just growing up watching the Weather Channel and then um, went to Georgia Tech. While I was there, I interned and um, was the weather producer for over two years at WSB TV Channel 2 uh, in Midtown under the tutelage of Glenn Burns, uh, David Shanley, Brad Nitz, and Karen Minton. Um, and uh, they taught me most of what I know um, and, and really trained me up well. Um, I graduated college right around the time of Snowmageddon, and Governor Deal at the time created a task force of people all over the, the weather industry and, and anyone who has anything to do with emergency management, uh, DOT, school systems, you name it, to figure out what went wrong for that event and how we can prevent it from happening again. The GEMA director was on that, um, Glenn Burns was on that, and folks from the National Weather Service were on that. They decided that one of the action items they should take is for GEMA to hire a meteorologist to have on staff and to be able to communicate between the state agencies, the governor's office, um, the media outlets, and the National Weather Service. And since I interned with the National Weather Service in college, worked with the media um, in college as well. I already knew, you know, most of the people that I still work with to this day, I had already worked with them. 
So I got that job in uh, the spring of 2014, and um, it's been almost nine years since then. So I've been here ever since. And I know you mentioned you mentioned sort of learning the ropes at Channel Two from some amazing meteorologists. Um, but you work with you work with all stations, and and so equal opportunity. We want to make sure that everyone knows G Dot loves all the meteorologists. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> throughout the state. Uh, yeah. I, I um, professionally, I'm unbiased. Obviously, I have the background that I have, but we are incredibly blessed and fortunate to have the weather media market that we have in Atlanta. All four of the networks are incredible. They have amazing people on their teams um, and uh, truly one of the best weather media markets in the country, I believe, hands down. So just in case people are wondering, there is you're not just sitting in a room with a dartboard throwing it at what the weather uh, w- weather forecast might be. You've got yourself, your team, the National Weather Service, and meteorologists throughout the state, really, whether it's a metro event or in other markets, um, all putting your brains together when these systems come in to really sort of determine what y'all think is going to happen. Yeah, it's it's definitely a team effort between you know all the meteorologists and whatever um, and whatever uh, discipline in in Atlanta and in Georgia. Um, you know, the weather service, they are, they are the experts. They are the ones who make the quote official forecast. We all use their products extensively, uh, in, in the, in emergency management and, uh, in the media. Um, but also the media folks bring a a unique perspective as well. They really are the mouthpiece for the, um, for the, the weather forecast and, and the national weather service will tell you that. And they, they appreciate that, that the the media pays so much attention to what they're putting out and they're helping to communicate that to the public um, and they do a great job of it. And so we are all working together to find a, um, a consistent message that we can all be sharing to the public so that we're not leading people in different directions, but we really do work to figure out what the forecast is going to be and communicate it in the best ways possible to the public and for me to other state agencies and to the governor's office for them to make decisions with what they have to do. You don't have to use names, but have y'all ever disagreed? Um, there are times where uh, some of us will see something a little differently. Um, honestly, we, we in those situations, we revert to the National Weather Service because, again, they are the ones that really have the responsibility of the official forecast Um, but they realize how helpful we can be to them because if we're seeing something that maybe they're not picking up on or vice versa that's where the teamwork really comes together when we're seeing differences honestly that's when we are are most helpful to one another because we can we might be seeing things that other people aren't and it makes a better forecast because of it I am I know I personally am very comfortable knowing the the brain trust that goes into because I've worked with National, I've worked with all of y'all during these events, and it's uh, it's really interesting to watch the science. Um, it's interesting to watch the mentality of it, it, no one wants to say "I told you so." Everyone wants to be right, and so for y'all to sort of use each of your skill sets to to find the same page is is awesome. Yeah, so and, and we're not trying to one up each other at all. Um, if anything, we're trying to push each other. To, to find the best forecast possible and to communicate. We're never trying to get, um, you know, a leg up on each other. It's truly a, um, 
a great partnership that we have with the media and with the weather service and with state government. Um, and even with GDOT as well. Um, a few years ago, uh, there was, I can't remember, some sort of national conference. And I believe it was the weather service from Peachtree City that was asked to come present on their partnership with the Georgia Department of Transportation and the Georgia Emergency Management Agency as a model to other states for them to be able to try to create a partnership like the one we have. And, and obviously, we've forged that partnership over several years, if not decades. Um, but it really just goes to show that the work that we've put in, particularly since Snowmageddon in 2014, has really paid dividends to the point where other states are starting to see what we have in Georgia, and they're trying to figure out how they can also get that partnership with their state agencies. And one of the things that we have done as an agency since Snowmageddon uh, is to create the director of operations, because prior to Snowmageddon, we really, the sort of emergency response, whether it was hur- clearing the roads for hurricanes or winter weather, sort of just came under maintenance, which, as we know, when you hit a pothole, we have a lot of things going on in maintenance. So so as your role was created, I know we really focused in on having a director of emergency operations, who is now, this position is now held by Emily Fish, who's also with us. So Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to GDOT to be the director of emergency operations. So um, my background is emergency management specific, um, and I was very fortunate. I was a GMA before I came over here, so I've known Will for several years now. Um, So we have a really good relationship. We worked in the same department over there at GEMA, and before that, I was at South Carolina Emergency Management Division, um, and I'm a certified emergency manager, um, which there are very few of them in the state. I am too, by the way. You, uh, yeah. Anyways. Um. I I feel like I'm in great company. (laughs) I took the ESF 15 certificate once, but I feel like I, now I, now I have a goal. I want to do something better. Yeah, uh, so, you know, when it comes to emergency operations, I've, I've been across the board. I've done hurricanes, wildfires, tornadoes. Um, we've done relocations. I assisted with the um, relocation, repatriation of um, people from Haiti after the earthquake in Haiti. So it's a long background in emergency management. Um, and then the position, a liaison position, uh, came open at GDOT. And I said, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so. I took that role on for a couple of years, and then the director position came open. And so they graciously gave me the position. Um, I'm the first young person to sit in this position, so hopefully I'll stick around for several years and make this a really exciting place to be and um, shake it up a little bit. You said said fun, and I had to laugh. Your definition (laughs) of fun might be a little different than – you are not risk adverse. No. No, not no. at all. And that's important for that role. And, and like you said, you, you are, uh, I think, the first woman to be in this role. Yes. And the first, uh, would, would, would you say, millennial? To millennial. Be, millennial. Yeah. Proud millennial to be in that role. And so um, so a lot of things changing. And, and with your excellent background, you talk about hurricanes, tornadoes, winter weather. But often when we talk about the uniqueness of Georgia weather, we're dealing with some of those in the same day. We, uh, we frequently do uh, have to respond to more than one disaster across the state uh, at any given day, whether or not it's a bridge hit or a um, debris operation, tornadoes in down south Georgia and snow and ice up in the northern part of Georgia. We uh, do both. So some, some people are out there 
riding while some people are out there using chainsaws and um, clearing the roads for, for people all across the state. Um, and that's where Will and I's relationship is uh, super strong is, is I can go, what's happening in Bainbridge? And also what's happening in Rome right now. And, and so we can respond effectively across the state at the same time. The men and women who are out there working on these um, incidents are incredibly talented. They come in, they work long shifts, long hours, and um, without Will helping us make pinpointed decisions on where we're going to respond, it would be a lot more scattered. And you know, it's easier to have Will and the National Weather Service assisting us with these decisions throughout the week, throughout the day, as it's going on. So. From both of y'all's perspective, do you sometimes think it would be easier to be a state up north where you're going to get sort of a steady flow of fluffy snow that can be plowed, that, that statewide snow? Because we just talked about a state where we're having a tornado in the south and a, and a blizzard in the North Georgia mountains, in theory. But yeah. that's challenging for, for, from both of your perspectives. How is that challenging? I think every state is probably unique. Um, you know, there's regionally you get you just have different hazards um personally i think that georgia has some of the best weather i mean it's you know it's never too hot it's never too cold it's never too wet never too dry um you know we do get those events where like you mentioned we've had we've had events where we've had tornado warnings in south georgia and winter storm warnings in north georgia at the same time so sometimes you get those kind of extreme events but for the most part um, we get all types of weather in georgia you know, we have a coastline, so we get a hurricane threat. Um, and so it, it definitely poses unique challenges, particularly in the wintertime with uh, the wedge. If you're familiar with that terminology, it's a weather pattern that has to do with the southern Appalachians. And um, it's where we get a lot of our freezing rain uh, events from. That's very unique to North Georgia. Um, it happens in other states, but for us in particular, it's a it's a very unique uh, kind of uh, um you know, it, it, it messes things up quite often. For you, Emily, how does that mess things up for you? So I, I think snow and ice is probably the hardest thing that we respond to. It, it is hot one day, cold the next day, hot the next day after that. And, and to message and respond to it's going to be cold and it's going to snow and there's going to be ice on the road for the next 24 hours and convey that message in one of the largest cities in the South it's it's very hard to 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 make those decisions and make them make the best decision for 10 million people we you know we're using these interstates each and every day we have first responders who have to be on these roads so those decisions are made as efficiently and as quickly as possible but it we start planning for how we're going to respond four to five days out and 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 it does change as the weather forecast gets better as it gets closer, we start focusing on where we're truly going to put out brine, where we're truly going to have to put out salt, and what the rest of the state is also dealing with. If we are only focused on snow and, and a big storm system comes through southern Georgia, we are we have to redirect our focus to two places instead of just the top half of the state. Um, those decisions, brine freezes after a certain temperature, about 23 degrees, so when it's incredibly cold, um, we have to move to different types of um, snow, uh, snow equipment and snow fighting materials. We move to straight salt. Sometimes we move to other types of chemicals that we use out there. Um, and 
when we respond, we have to think about what the weather is actually doing, and that's where we are talking to Will and the National Weather Service. If it's if it's raining, what does that do to our brine? If it's uh, ice, what do we need to do to, to bust the ice up and get it off the road? If it is straight snow, which would be the most ideal thing, can we get out there and plow it? This is Georgia, though. It's not Vermont. It is hard to just say we're going to plow here because that is not the actual reality. There are times where we brine uh, for 24 hours straight and then nothing happens. There are times when we go, oh, we probably should have done a little more. Typically, we over-respond, which is great in my opinion because we want to keep traffic moving. We want to keep the public moving and we want to ensure that everybody can get where they're going. Christmas weekend, uh, we've done a couple of responses since I've been here throughout the Christmas weekend. We're out there working to make sure Santa can deliver his gifts to all the kids. Um, I've done that twice since I've been with GDOT, and I've only been here three and a half years. So <laughs> that should tell you something about <laughs> how often. And every storm's different. Yes. And so that's a challenge in itself because you sort of create the roadmap for how you respond. And, and your, your wheels are turning about a week in advance with how do, how do I mobilize crews from South Georgia and what's the weather and how much brine are we going to need, how much calcium chloride. And this year... We have a test project. We are using beet juice this year. And Delicious. Hmm? Dwight Schrute would approve. Uh, I mean, it, it smells bad. Um, <laughs> it smells like soy sauce. Um, but <laughs> Some might say that smells Some good. Some might say that is great. Um, so we are testing, and I'm incredibly excited about it. Um, we are piloting um, some beet juice tests in our northern districts. So, again, the state is broken up into different districts and um, our northern districts are piloting beet juice on some closed routes this year. We have a couple of routes that we always close during snow and ice, but beet juice is incredibly environmentally friendly. It's cheaper than just salt or brine that we use out on the roads, um, and it has some chemical components to it. It has a, a texture that makes the salt stick to the road a little bit better, so we want to test it this year. It, it'll be tested. We'll see if it is worth expanding that program um, and being utilized throughout the state. It is not red. It does not turn the snow red. Um, it's kind of brown colored. Um, you won't notice it too much other than maybe the snow might be a little more brown than usual. Um, but it, it, it's got some really great, great qualities. Almost all of the northern states are using it as of now. And in the past 10 years, because I, rem I was here for Snowmageddon, I remember it very well, we, we had a pilot program for brine, more or less, at the time, <laughs> in North Georgia. So all good things start in North Georgia because they get the most, you know, wintry weather here. Uh, so our brine capabilities have gone from a small pilot program in about t 2014 to hundreds of thousands of gallons. Then we added on calcium chloride. We, we, we know from education or or we're having to talk, I would love to talk, I love talking about brine, um, that brine works to a certain uh, efficacy, and then you add calcium chloride. When would we use beet juice? So beet juice, we would use that in conjunction with the brine applications. So beet, brine is good until about 23 degrees Fahrenheit. Beet juice gives us about 10 more degrees worth of efficacy on that. So we could get down to about 13 degrees on the roadways um, to 
make sure the roads are still cleared, the brine is sticking to it, and it is melting the snow, it is melting the ice. So it actually gives us a lot more flexibility. It doesn't always get that cold in Georgia. We have the problem of it getting to 30, 31 most of the time, and, and the beet juice does, or the brine does its job. With the beet juice, it gives us another flexibility um, to, to continue brining for another 10 degrees. And we would, it keeps, the idea of the compound is it keeps the salt on the road better. So if it's raining, which is our biggest problem with brining in Georgia, is it washes off the road if it's raining, right? I mean, pretty simple concept. Um, but so with the, the tackiness and the stickiness of beet juice, it will hold the brine to the road better. So the real concept of using brine and beet juice together is that it gives us 10 more degrees. It gives us the ability to keep the brine on the road a lot better and hopefully ensure that the roads are staying clear for longer, especially up in North Georgia. You can't beat it. <laughs> that was good. Hold on to that one. That so, so Emily's wheels are turning like a week plus in advance as these things sort of pop up. Uh, but weather forecasting, it, it's not that far out for you, right? Well, you solidifies but these people people who would call you two weeks in advance and say is it gonna rain on my wedding day what what would you say for long term what long-term forecasting yeah it's it's really difficult to have confidence in a forecast I would say more than a week out um, when you get within around seven days or so you can start to get a pretty good picture of generally what's gonna happen um, but personally I don't like making forecasts for anything specific more than maybe four or five days out because so many things change um, you know between two weeks out one week out even a few days out um, you really you, you really can't have a whole lot of confidence until you're you know three to five days out then you can really start nailing down some of the specifics um, you, you know if you've lived in Georgia long enough you know that things can change on a dime um, and we really sort of sit in this weird, we talk about unique Georgia weather as yeah. far as hurricanes, tornadoes, and snow, but also the temperature. Yeah. We, we don't get in that fluffy snow category, all that. We get in this sort of, is it going to be rain? Is it going to be ice? Is it going to be snow? Is it going to be snow that turns to rain? So how does that play into what you have to do? The, one of the toughest things that we do in the, in the National Weather Service and the media forecasting um, have, to, have to figure out with winter weather is when the temperatures are forecast to hover around that 32 degree mark, a degree or two here and there, not even at the surface, but even a mile or two up in the atmosphere, can make a humongous difference with what we see on the ground. Um, you have to have the whole column, is what we call it in, in meteorology, from basically the cloud all the way to the ground to be below 32 for you to really have that kind of snow that starts piling up and you can start to, you know, play with it and have fun with it. When you're hovering around that 32, you can have you can have air temperatures below 32 and ground temperatures above 32. And, you know, it melts when it when it hits the ground and that's where we see some of that refreezing threat that we run into quite frequently. Um, but when you're in that 32 degree range and there's a maybe a warm pocket of air just off the surface of the atmosphere, but it could even be below 32 on the ground. That's when you start getting into the freezing rain territory where it's falling as water, 
But when it makes contact with an object, like a car or a tree or a power line or a road, it freezes on contact. That's the, those, are the, those are the events that we have real issues with because it's incredibly difficult to forecast what is going to happen and where it's going to happen when you're talking about literally a degree or two here or there um, making all the difference. We had, we had an event a few years ago where we were expecting four to six inches of snow across metro Atlanta. And one of those warm pockets of air started building into the atmosphere over north Georgia. So it was below freezing at the surface. But the air was just above freezing, you know, towards the bottom of the clouds, let's say. The, the snow was falling, it was melting, and then it was we thought it was going to stay frozen and fall as snow, but it ended up turning into ice. We didn't get any snow that, that weekend. We got a quarter to a half inch of ice. So it's really difficult in situations like that. The wedge is a, is a weather pattern that we get in North Georgia that's very unique to us, and that really throws a wrench in a lot of those systems and makes it difficult to, to even get the precipitation type right oftentimes when whenever we're in that low to mid-30s range for an event. In 2014, is that, is, that what ha- is that similar to where we sat? Yeah. So what happened there was, again, it, was, it actually fell as snow that day. What the issue was that the ground temperatures and the road temperatures were above freezing. So when the snow hit the ground, it melted. But the air temperature was below freezing. So it froze very quickly. That's the issue we ran into back then. It was a flash freeze. It fell it it wasn't even necessarily a freezing rain event. It was a snow event that turned into an ice event because of the unique situation where the roads were warmer than the air. So it melted and then froze immediately. Does it bother either of you when people say, How does three inches cripple a three inches of snow cripple a whole city? Because it's really not what it is. Yeah, it's that that really does show a bit of a lack of understanding on the kind of unique challenges that we face here. Um, you know, they don't have to deal with that in the north. It's it's that is really almost exclusively a southeast issue because we have those. Yeah, we have those. You know, we're right next to the Gulf of Mexico and the and the Atlantic on the east side. And we have a mountain range that causes that wedge. And when you have all of those coming together, it creates an incredibly complicated um, meteorological situation that we've got. Because, Emily, you can't plow ice. Correct. Not, yes. not, not exactly how a snow plow works. So you talked about the tools we have now. Brine, which we went from about zero gallons to hundreds of thousands of gallons. Now every district has their own capability of spreading brine, making brine, calcium chloride, beet juice. Um, one of my favorite things we have is the road weather information sensors where we get to, it's almost, I find myself staring at these to see, (laughs) and I know you do too. Yeah. I know you do too. So tell me how you use those. So those are really great. We have about 65 sensors throughout the state that are actually embedded in the road. That's road weather information. It's like a hockey puck. Yeah. They're hockey pucks. They are they were brought in after uh, Snowmageddon, and it's an excellent tool. Um, so it will actually give us um, some forward thinking um, forecast now to about 72 hours out. But so these 
sensors, um, they are, again, embedded in the road, and they tell us a lot of information. So they tell us what the actual surface temperature of the road is. And when it hits 32 degrees, that is when it'll freeze over. But So we can start looking. Even today, I could go out and see that the road temperature is actually 54 degrees, even though it's 30 degrees outside. So that gives us some flexibility in, in us saying, yes, it is cold, but it's not raining, it's not snowing, um, and the road temperatures are actually pretty warm. So the road temperatures stay about 10 degrees warmer than the actual air temperature. And so, but these systems are throughout the state, they're on the interstates, they're on big highways. Um, we have a few out near bridges. And this just, it shows us not just the road temperature, it shows us uh, what the precipitation may be at that time. So if it's dry, it will say it's dry. If it says that there is uh, rain on the ground, it will show us that there's rain. It will even show us if there's ice on the ground or even snow. Um, they also show us what we call the grip of the road. And, and that is a huge focus point for us when we're looking at the roads during snow and ice is the higher the grip, that uh, better the road is. So once we start hitting a certain number on the grip, it's on a one scale, a scale of one. So when the, when the grip starts hitting about 50%, we know that it's slick out there. Um, and But if it's at 80 or 90, we know that the road is dry. We know that um, it's safe for driving. We know that the, the brine is working. We know that the salt is working. We know the beet juice is out there working. And so we really use those a whole lot to check and double check and recheck, not just what the forecasts are saying, but also what the, the sensors are saying out there. And it gives us the advantage of pre-planning as to how long we're going to have to be out there, um, as to how long we may be looking at black ice, which is not necessarily what you're brining for. It is just an offshoot of, of what we get. But it also allows us to say, okay, just because the snow has stopped, we still have 24 more hours of freezing road temperatures and we have to respond to that. So it gives us this advantage of saying, our response is now 48 hours instead of 24 hours and, and we have to staff for this amount of time. The sensors are, uh, every year we're putting more out. They're really an excellent tool. Um, most of them are publicly, well, all of them are publicly available to see. So the media utilizes them. The National Weather Service utilizes them to uh, also work with their forecast and also um, make it to where we know what our traffic is going to look like throughout the state. So it's being utilized across the state in different capacities. Um, and it's probably one of our favorite tools in emergency operations for snow and ice. I enjoy it. And if you're listening and you want to check that out, I know that you can access that through the National Weather Service Peachtree Center site um, that they link to that. So it, it's a great tool. Um, it's certainly, again, all of these things create an appropriate response. And we also can watch the the road temps in Alabama and as, maybe as far as Mississippi. Um, Not we, quite that far. I know we can see Alabama, Florida, probably South Carolina would be mine. Is that where our weather comes from in these cases is always like whatever's creeping through Alabama? Yeah, that is that is an advantage that we have for not just winter weather, but I mean, specifically severe weather. Um, you know, we recently had a severe weather outbreak to our west um, and there was a threat that we could have seen some kind of leftovers from that. But we do have the advantage um, of seeing what's happening in states to our west or states to our north typically are the two directions that it comes from. And we kind of see what they're seeing, and then 
the, the weather service is very good at saying, okay, here's what's happening in Tennessee or here's what's happening in Alabama. Here's what the conditions in Georgia are right now. So do we expect that to move in and, and stay the way it is? Or do we see some, you know, warmer temperatures or more stable conditions? And, and they can kind of extrapolate from that. Um, one thing I did want to mention, though, is uh, the road sensors in the, in the Brine program, like you mentioned, really were rolled out after the 2014 event, and they have been game changers. I, I feel like in the almost nine years that I've been with GEMA, those two programs have made our ability to prepare for uh, winter weather um, just light years better than we were a decade ago. Um, you know, there's a reason that we, we, we tout those products and programs because they, they really work. And we've had snow and ice um, events since 2014 that weather-wise have been just as bad, if not worse, than 2014. But because we are so much better prepared with the tools that we have, the experience and the communication that we have with one another, we don't even remember those events because they, they didn't really cause any issues um, because we, we were able to put the brine out and be so much more prepared than, than we might have been 10 or 15 years ago. So would you say that is your favorite tool that we have that, that GDOT has sort of amassed? Sure. Since? Is it, which yeah. one? Which one? I, need a, I, I want well, you to pick your top three things that have happened since Snowmageddon. Okay. I use the, I use the road sensors frequently. Um, the Weather Service has those. If you see the media showing it on TV, if they have road temperatures, that's where they're getting it from. It's publicly accessible. They have access to that. Again, like I mentioned, the Brine program, I mean, it's, it's night and day the difference that that, that, that makes on the roads. Um, we had an event, I, I think it was in 2017, December of 2017, where we had way more snow than we were expecting. It was a um, like a 99th percentile type event where none of the models were showing anywhere close to it. And because GDOT had been proactive grinding the roads, we were, you know, it might have taken 10 minutes longer to get home that day just because everyone's being careful, but there were lanes open and there were, you know, we had. I think like nine to 12 inches of snow in Northwest Metro. But because we had over-prepared for that, we didn't get caught off guard because we had already done the legwork. And so that to me was just proof of, you know, similar to 2014 where something happens that we weren't necessarily expecting to happen. Um, because of the preparation that we put into that event, everyone was able to get home Everyone was, you know, safe for the most part, and it didn't really, you know, cause a cause a fuss or a ruckus because, you know, people weren't being impacted so much. What do you, let's play MythBusters? What do you, what is your biggest misconception about from from Georgia drivers about whether it's for me it's when they can get back out on the road. That the, the snow ends, the ice ends, and they say, oops, storm's over, it's time to get back out on the road, and, and there's this, we sort of forget this after phase, which I know, Emily, is really important for our crews and for your teams, is to to treat the after phase. So, and the idea that we treat all the roads. So you, you still have to get out of your driveway and your neighborhood street and, and your local roads that we don't treat. Those are county roads or city roads. So my I would love to educate listeners about waiting 
you know, that the, the storm isn't over when the storm is over. The storm is over when the roads are clear and you get the go right. ahead. What, what, what myth do you want to bust or what misconception do you want to clear up? The I, mic is yours. I would say that the reason it's called black ice is because you can't see it. That's the tough part. You, you cannot see it. You don't know you're in it until you're in it. And um, it, 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 just because the temperature is above 32 degrees doesn't mean you're in the clear. It takes, um, it takes temperatures probably into the upper 30s to lower 40s and sunshine and some wind over a several-hour period for that, for that ice to melt and dry. Oftentimes we see it where the, the ice can melt but doesn't dry up all the way. Temperatures go below freezing that night, and it refreezes. So you, you really do have to be extra cautious because there's even times where it's, it's, it's not necessarily even standing water on roads from the rainfall. It can be runoff. You know, the water is moving through the ground onto the roads and will freeze. Commercial sprinklers that have busted. Exactly. It, it, it can be yeah. a sunny day. There could still be black ice. Yeah. So, again, it only takes one patch of ice for you to hit, for you to get in a wreck. And um, you really have to be extra cautious. And if you're in doubt if the roads are clear or not, you should probably wait until indications are from the media or from GDOT or whoever officially that the roads are, are clear and safe for you to be on. What's yeah. your myth? Um, what you like to bust? The misconception that we are a huge behemoth of an agency. You know, we have a certain amount of employees, a certain amount of people who are eligible and trained to drive these trucks, um, and how long it takes. It takes us a long time to brine everything, um, and it takes us a long time to do all of this again we start 48 hours out putting stuff out throughout the state there are over 50,000 lane miles in the state of Georgia and we have to bring all of these employees in and we do our best we really really are going up to bat for everybody out there um, but there are only a certain amount of people who are qualified to drive the trucks there are only a certain amount of trucks that we have as an agency and to, to respond to this, it takes specialized equipment, it takes specialized skills, and we do everything we can. We brine as much as we can, um, but you know we are trying to move the traffic, we are trying to move the people, and I agree that everybody should listen to the news and, and listen to our press releases and listen to the forecasters and media, and, and when we say it's all, all clear, we mean it's all clear. If, if you're at home, and in North Georgia, you are very accustomed to staying home for the weekend and enjoying the snowy weather. Um, if you're not from North Georgia and you're from South Georgia, it might be a struggle for you to drive on black ice. And it may be a struggle for you to get through Metro Atlanta, which it is anyways. But, you know, d expecting the delays of being behind a brine truck, ex expecting the delays of, well, the response to move all the traffic through here when there are brine trucks on the road, it, it's just part of the whole response overall. It requires some patience and tolerance from us as an agency, and it requires some patience and understanding that the weather is changing every day um, and that we're bringing several thousand employees into work um, throughout the day, and it takes um, several days to recover completely from a storm because it's not just that 
immediate response. It's if it ices, the trees fall down, the power lines fall down. It takes more than one agency to make that fixable and drivable again. We have to bring in a power company to take care of the power lines because our employees need to be safe as well. So it, it, it's an all-encompassing, what we call whole community approach to responding to these things is is uh, if the power company is out working on one side of the county and we need to get them to the other side of the county, we may have to clear the road for them to get through. So it, it all goes hand in hand. Um, and without our partners like the power companies or without Georgia State Patrol, it would be a very slow response. So we're thankful that we have all of those. But the agency is a state agency and, and our resources are limited to an extent and, and we try our darndest to get out there and treat everything as fast as we possibly can. But we also can only treat to a certain extent. If it's raining, the brine might wash away. If it's snowing, we have to plow on top of brining. So there are all these combinations of things that are happening and we are making the best decisions. Again, we're listening to forecasters. We're listening to the National Weather Service. We're looking at our road sensors. We are uh, checking to ensure that we're putting our personnel out there where they need to be. But we also, when the trees are falling, we're, we have to take a crew out there to cut a tree. It's not, oh, let's get out of this truck and, and quit brining for 30 seconds and cut this tree down. It is, okay, now we need a, a, a tree clearing crew to come in. And, and there are all these components that go hand in hand, but it, it, it takes us. Even with a lot of the limitations that you mentioned, I don't think you're giving GDOT enough credit. And because there are times where there's an event that happens, and I'm very impressed with how quickly things clear up. Yeah. So just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to score brownie points or anything. (laughs) Will, you come back on this podcast anytime you want. The the men and women who are out there responding, which are several thousand uh, people who work for the state agency. Um, they give up their time with their families and friends to be here and work uh, untold hours. Um, they, they work around the clock for days on end uh, responding, and they do it because they want to help the citizens of Georgia. Um, we're here f- to support them. We want everybody to get home safe to their families. Um, the commitment level of our employees to the state and to, to winter weather response is just you know, amazing to watch them come out, work, um, and and work until it's over. They don't just go, oh, we brined, we're going home. They work, and they work and work until it's clear, until it's safe, um, and, and they are incredibly committed to, to this. Um, I see it every time we do an emergency operation that they're just, you know, I can't believe some of the things that we see out of our employees where they have um, gone above and beyond to help the citizens of Georgia um, get out there and be safe. Um, we have literally seen some of our employees save lives out on the road. Um, during snow and ice operations, we are an agency of people who want to assist and ensure the traveling public and their fellow citizens are, are being taken care of at all times. It's, it's amazing. And, and it, although it is 2023 and so much has happened globally in the past couple of years, there is no teleworking in snow and ice removal. Like you, you, you can't Zoom call grinding the roads. And so it is a lot of time. You're right. And, and I know you see it because you have to make the call, Emily, if people are leaving their home in Savannah to come help Metro Atlantans or North Georgians uh, with mobility after these issues. And so 
as a safety, as an agency that values safety, I know your concern is just as much for the people that are being activated during these. So stick with us. We're going to talk about what is coming this winter weather season for the rest of it. Hopefully a short one. Groundhog days are on the corner. Come on, spring. Um, but we will be right back to talk about more winter weather. Check it out to learn how Georgia is leading the Southeast in the evolution to electric vehicles and what's coming next for charging stations and more. Plus, more on what goes into keeping Georgia's roads and highways safe in winter weather. Read all about it in the winter edition of Milepost Magazine, found online now at dot. Welcome back. We are so glad you're still here. I know you are just aching to know about what is what is in the forecast for the rest of the winter. And we're, we're going to get there, but because it's January, and January is resolutions, and we have Will and Emily with us, and all the studies say that if you tell everyone your New Year's resolution, you're likely to stick to it. And I won't reference which study because I'm making that up. But do either of y'all have New Year's resolutions that you need to you need to share with our listeners? Will? I'm trying to get more sleep, and I'm trying to drink more water. I That's feel like those are two very healthy things to do. So you decided to get more sleep during winter weather? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Set sometimes, it out loud now. Good luck. Yeah, sometimes I am um, prevented from doing that because of the weather. But when possible, I'd like to try and catch a few more Zs. What about you, Emily? Um, my resolution is to uh, help Will get more sleep. So... Or maybe build a snowman in January. Build a snowman. I Tell us, because this is one of the questions that I get a lot from my child, is, Mom, am I going to be able to build a snowman? And sadly, the answer is usually no. Also sledding. Maybe more sledding in Georgia because we get a little slick. But if the storm clouds were rolling in, what would be – predict us what what is the exact forecast or, or a general one that we need to have the fluffy snowman corn cob pipe button nose two eyes made of coal we're putting on a top hat we've got frosty how do we get them really the key is you're going to need to have dry snow over wet snow wet snow is what we typically get because our temperatures don't go too far below freezing um, dry snow is more what you see up north where the temperature is well below freezing. It falls as snow. It sticks as snow. It piles up. It's nice and white. A lot of times what we get down in Georgia is the just kind of messy, sloppy, you know, slushy kind of snow, and you can't do anything with that. Um, it just kind of ruins everything. You don't get the nice snowpack. So you'd really need to have temperatures that are at least, you know, a few to several degrees below freezing, You'd have to have it fall all the way as snow. We're not getting sleet. We're not getting freezing rain. We're not getting ice, just pure snow. And um, it'd have to pile up a, a bit. You know, you're going to need, you know, more than an inch or two. We don't, we don't get those type systems very often. That's probably why, you know, your kids are complaining that we're not getting them because we usually get those wet snow or, you know, slushy sleet type events. And um, that's not what you're looking for for that. So, you know, maybe if we get any snow this year, it'll be, um, 
it'll be pure snow and and not mix in with the other stuff and is it ever um, too cold to snow no i mean you know it, it it everything has to line up you know for us down here especially you have to have you have to have the the cold really you have to have the cold air already in place and then the moisture move in um and oftentimes they'll either be close to one another or they they'll they won't quite overlap and you'll get the you'll get rain and then the cold or um you know the temperatures will be hovering around freezing so if the conditions line up um where it's already cold below freezing in Georgia and then we get the moisture move through that would be a scenario we, where we could see something of kind of a dry snowpack so the honest answer to my kids is we have to go on vacation to get a, to build a snowman. Probably, probably. Yeah. We'll build a sandman. We'll yeah. go down to the coast and, and build a sandman. Um, what what is in your crystal ball for for the rest of our winter weather season? Yeah, so seasonal forecasts are helpful in context. Um, the The official forecast from the Climate Prediction Center, which is under NOAA, the National Oceanic and, and uh, Atmospheric Administration. Um, CPC is calling for the southeast to see slightly above average temperatures for this winter and slightly below normal precipitation, which would kind of equate to generally a mild winter. Based on what we saw in December around Christmas with the cold Arctic blast of air, that might shock some people. But those are the type of systems where we get that super cold Arctic air moved down we can't see those more than a couple of weeks out at the most. Um, there are some climate signals that we can look at and say, hey, it's possible that we get a super cold surge of air moving through, but that's not something we can see more than a couple of weeks out. Um, so, and again, we could have a season where the temperatures are slightly above average, but you get those cold spells um, that really shock the system, but it averages out. Oftentimes what we'll have is, you know, the last few years we've had kind of a warm December, cold January, warm February. Um, so it's a mixed bag. It, it can all average out, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be weeks where we get super cold or we are super warm. Winter weather events can happen sporadically. They Statistically, they most often happen in mid between mid-january and mid-february that's really is you know kind of the the peak of hurricane season is early to mid-september the peak of winter weather season is in georgia is late january to late to to mid-february um obviously doesn't mean we can't get something in december doesn't mean we can't get something in march but january and february is when we typically see most of the winter weather action emily how does that help your how does that outlook help for the rest of, of your planning for the winter weather season? So we stay prepared all year round for, for our snow and ice events, um, and we're usually ready to go by October 1st. So anything early or late in the season, we have that ready to go. But um, hopefully this year we will continue to only have had one event in December, and we uh, will be able to keep our supplies and our operations ready to go for next year. Um, but for January, I hope that we uh, stay nice and dry, unless it's for building a snowman. But, uh, you know, we're ready to go. We have supplies for uh, multiple operations throughout the year. And uh, I think between Will and the National Weather Service and our teams at GDOT, that we can respond whenever and wherever we need to. 
since Snowmageddon, we have added as an agency more materials every year, especially after each event. You do a deep dive with your team. We all join after each scenario because they're never the same. We all get together as an agency and we sort of look at what happened and what was good and what worked. And out of that comes a lot of the policies and procedures, the tools we use. Is there anything upcoming or sort of maybe you'll we'll hear it here first? Um, in, in our winter weather arsenal, are we adding anything? Or are we looking at anything? Yeah, so we are um, adding cameras to all of our salt barns. And those cameras give us the ability to see what our stockpile is. Um, so that frees up our employees to not have to go out there and hand count how much uh, salt supplies we have out there. Um, and it gives us a real-time um, view of, of our supplies throughout the state. It's a really exciting project. We're putting 30 cameras out this year, and they'll be installed uh, shortly. And um, that's a really great tool to our arsenal for the ability to go, okay, we need to replenish this this area and we need to make sure they have enough salt for the next response. Um, it also gives us the capability to look at our state stockpiles that are spread out throughout the state so that we know that we um, what we have available to replenish those areas that get more snow and ice. Um, and we are always looking at more proactive ways to work smarter, not harder um, across the state. So we are looking at what types of uh, equipment we're using and we are looking at some trucks that spreads, um, spread the material better and faster throughout the state. So we are piloting a lot of things, not just the beet juice. We're piloting some pressurized trucks that spread um, the brine juice in more than one lane at a time. And so hopefully we can speed up our response a little bit better. And so we're throughout the year, we're looking for best practices. Throughout the uh, United States, we're looking at best practices the northern states, they've got it going. They know what they're doing. Um, that's where the beet juice came from. And, and we're always looking at what are they doing and how can we bring that response to Georgia to make it better. Absolutely. And we can't always do what they do in the north because we get such different weather. But I know your crew, you yourself, your team are always have your finger in the pulse of the latest and greatest and in info sharing with other states. It's been really interesting to watch it's it's been encouraging to watch how we've grown as a department and as a department where safety is our number one priority we just want to remind you that sometimes the best road to drive on is not one that's been treated but one that is clear so wait until you get that all clear from us because that's when that's when we know travel conditions are are prime for you to safely get back on the road make sure that you have your winter weather gear in your car coats fuel, snacks. What else do we need in our car? Yeah, so we encourage uh, people to have a 24-hour kit with them. Um, so, you know, make a kit, be prepared for this. So have your blankets, your medications, um, some extra food and some water in your vehicles. Um, you never know when you might need that, but also that's just a good rule of thumb for your own house during a snowstorm is to uh, have supplies for at least one to three days with you. Um, it's a huge safety message to tell people to have those kits in their cars. I have one. Will probably has one in his car. I'm sure you have some blankets in your car as well, Natalie. Um, but we, we definitely encourage people to think about what their daily necessities are and have an extra set of that in your vehicle. If, if you are like me and your phone is dead after two or three hours every day, 
have a have one of the brick chargers with you have some extra supplies with you fill your tank up before it snows all of those really basic things that we may not think about on a day-to-day basis um, we want people to be safe and be prepared out on the roads and not everything can be foreseen in a crystal ball so we want to make sure that you're safe um, until a hero truck can come assist you and, or until the roads are clear for you to get through so we w- will We'll make a New Year's resolution for our listeners to be to be safe, to be prepared, uh, to be weather aware, weather conscious. Um, tune in to your station of choice, National Weather Service. Tune in, of course, during these winter weather situations to GDOT channels, whether that's Instagram or Twitter or our, our media feed, to make sure that you know what's coming your way, how to stay safe, how much milk and bread you need in your house at any given time. Uh, And we will hopefully get through the rest of this winter and do it again next year. I want to thank Emily and Will for joining us on today's show. I, as a Georgian and as someone who works with y'all, very, very, I know we're in very good hands. And I'm very thankful for what y'all do uh, for your respective agencies, GDOT, GEMA Homeland Security, uh, and what you do for the citizens of Georgia, keeping them safe on the roads, keeping them safe at home, making sure that we all have the appropriate amount of milk and bread in our in our cupboards at any time does anyone still have a cupboard i don't think so but thank you so much i hope that our listeners learned i know that they learned so much about weather and about road treatment and about how to stay safe in winter weather conditions so thank you so much thank you start the new year with a new career georgia dot is hiring for from entry-level highway maintenance technician to construction engineer and much, much more all around the state. You'll get paid vacation and holidays in the first year and be eligible for health insurance and retirement benefits too. Help build your community with a stable, rewarding career in state service. See openings at dot.ga.com. again for joining us on GDOT's Ahead of the Curve podcast. We learned so much today about winter weather, how the state prepares, what goes into creating the uh, perfect forecast for Georgia. We are so thankful for everyone at GDOT and all state employees who work during these times, who spend time away from their family, uh, who put uh, themselves out on the roadway to keep Georgians safe. We hope you join us for our next podcast. Until then, I'm Natalie Dale with Georgia DOT.